0: Thank you. That concludes general questions. The next item of business is First Minister's questions. And at question number one, I call Douglas Ross.
1: Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. Uh, Can I begin by sending my deepest condolences, and I'm sure those of the entire chamber, to the family of Keith Rowlandson, who tragically died following an assault at Elgin bus station last Friday. Keith died serving his community, and there is a huge amount of shock and anger across Moray. Keith was a loving husband and father, and our thoughts are with his family at this deeply tragic time, as well as his many friends and colleagues at Stagecoach. Can I also echo, uh, Presiding Officer, what you said earlier this week, following the King's announcement that he was receiving treatment for cancer, uh, we wish His Majesty and the entire royal family. All the very best for the King's full and speedy recovery. Michael Matheson has finally resigned as Health Secretary, months after it emerged that he was dishonest and misled Parliament over an £11,000 iPad bill he charged to taxpayers. Hamza Youssef described Michael Matheson as a man of integrity and honesty how much does he now regret those words
2: first minister Officer, can i also pay my condolences as i did earlier this week to the family of uh, keith uh, rollinson uh, and i know that uh, his tragic killing has uh, undoubtedly not just impacted his family but the local community and i know as somebody whose family uh, was previously bus drivers that community is actually extremely close uh, to each other. So all of the uh, bus driving community will be impacted and affected uh, by that tragic, uh, tragic killing. Um, can I also uh, echo what I said earlier this week uh, after his majesty's openness about his recent prostate treatment, I like many, I'm sure was moved to hear uh, of, and saddened to hear of a subsequent, unrelated uh, cancer diagnosis. His majesty's candor, a uh, supporter of many cancer charities over the years, uh, is uh, admirable a diagnosis of cancer is a cause of great worry in any family. And I wish His Majesty a speedy and full recovery. Uh, He and the entire royal family are in my thoughts and prayers, and I'm sure the thoughts and prayers of everybody in this chamber. In relation uh, to Michael Matheson, the question of substance Douglas Ross uh, has asked. Michael Matheson, of course, uh, did make a mistake. Uh, He made that mistake, and he apologised for that mistake. Uh, What he did ask for uh, was due process. And I think somebody who served this parliament, served his country, served in the government, not for years, actually, served in this parliament uh, for decades, that he should be afforded that uh, due process. Uh, that due process, as, it has, as it's coming to its conclusion, Michael has come uh, to the conclusion himself uh, that he should stand down. And I, of course, have accepted his resignation. I do think, though, that... Uh, the Conservatives talking about integrity in public life will be quite galling for those that are listening. Presiding Officer, Can I remind Douglas Ross that he, of course, called Boris, Jonas, Boris Johnson an honest man. That would be the Boris Johnson who lied about partygate. That would be the Conservatives, of course, who awarded multi-million pound contracts, PPE contracts, to their pals. So if there is one party in this chamber... ...presiding officer that has no credibility in talking about integrity in public life. It is the Conservatives. Douglas Ross.
1: As clear as day, not a bit of regret from the First Minister... ...for claiming that Michael Matheson was a man of integrity and honesty. And he says... The the former health secretary came to this decision after the due process. He says in his own two-page letter that he's not received the findings of the review. However, he thinks it's in his own best interest and the best interest of the SNP government that he resigns. If he's so keen on due process, why not wait for the report uh, to be published? But let's be clear. Michael Matheson was dishonest about his £11,000 iPad bill. He made a false claim for thousands of pounds of taxpayers' money. He misled the public, the press and this Parliament. He kept on being dishonest even as his story changed. He's resigned. But Hamza Youssef should have sacked him the minute, the minute it became clear that Michael Matheson had not told the truth. And again, in this lengthy letter from the former Health Secretary, there is not one word of apology to the people of Scotland for what he did and his dishonesty. And I hope the First Minister will stand up and apologise on his behalf. But can I ask Hamza Youssef... Why did he continue to have this disgraced minister in his government for months after the situation first came to light?
0: Uh, First first Minister, before you begin, I will just remind the Chamber that the investigation process, a confidential process, is still ongoing. First Minister.
2: Well, as I said, Michael Matheson, and as he reiterated in his letter, as the process is coming to a conclusion, uh, he has uh, offered his resignation I have accepted (laughs) Uh, his resignation. Can I remind uh, Douglas Ross when it comes to mistakes that are made? Douglas Ross, of course, forgot to declare tens of thousands of pounds of income that he, he of course, just simply forgot to do. Uh, so mistakes uh, can uh, happen. Presenting officer, I don't think I was asking for Douglas Ross's resignation at that point because we understand uh, mistakes absolutely uh, can happen. And Douglas Ross says that Michael Matheson, the Minister, that first is Minister, Can we
0: please have quiet so that we can all hear questions and responses, First Minister?
2: That that, that is uh, incorrect. If Douglas Ross wants to look at the official records, Mr Ross! First Minister. Minister. Douglas Ross may not want to listen to what I've got to say, but of course he can read over the official record in this chamber when Michael Matheson made a personal statement. He reiterated his apology uh, on numerous occasions for the mistake he had made. And he did make a mistake. I'm not suggesting he did not. All I'm suggesting is that, of course, a man who has served this parliament for many years, decades, in fact, has worked diligently, worked hard in every role that he has been in, was afforded due process. He has been afforded that due process and come to the conclusion that he should stand down. In terms of what he has helped to achieve, of course, is he has helped to achieve a recovery of our NHS. That process, of course, ongoing. But under Michael Matheson, under this government, we are focused on the recovery of the NHS. And that includes, of course, record funding Briefly for, for our Minister. NHS. That includes record funding for our NHS, which is a very stark contrast to a Conservative government that is imposing real-term cuts on the NHS and England. Douglas Ross.
1: Michael Matheson tried to cheat the taxpayer out of tens of thousands of pounds. He has been backed every step of the way by Hamza Youssef, and he's still being backed by the First Minister. Even when the Health Secretary's story changed, Hamza Youssef was still there defending him. He stood by him even when Michael Matheson had to cancel appearances at GP surgeries and stop doing his job to avoid scrutiny. He let him continue to be health secretary while Michael Matheson was distracted and was a distraction. The First Minister was just about the only person who still supported Michael Matheson. Hamza Youssef staked his own personal reputation on backing the former health secretary. So can he tell us
2: why was he willing to tolerate such dishonesty?
0: First Minister.
2: Let me uh, again uh, just remind uh, Douglas Ross what we have been focused on. Let's look at the facts. and Let's look at the recovery of the NHS. We have, of course, in Scotland, the best performing A&E departments in the entire UK. A real terms uplift for the NHS in Scotland while the Tories inflict a real terms cut to the NHS England, NHS England to the tune of over £1 billion. Record staffing in NHS Scotland under the SNP up by over 31,000. The best paid staff anywhere in the UK, NHS staff, best paid in Scotland compared to the rest of the UK. Outpatients who've been waiting over two years have have reduced by almost 70%. Inpatients who've been waiting over two years reduced by over 25%. They don't want to hear it, presiding officer, because it points to an NHS recovery.
0: Can I remind all members of the atmosphere that we wish to have at this session. We want members to be able to put questions and to respond in an orderly manner, and we wish to be able to hear one another.
2: And of course, uh, unlike where the Tories are in charge, Scotland hasn't lost a single day of NHS activity to strike action, (laughs) including, of course, including, of course, The junior doctor's deal that Michael Matheson concluded. So we're a government that takes great pride in supporting our NHS at at its time of greatest need. In very stark contrast to a Tory government that is gutting NHS England to the bones. Douglas Ross.
1: Listening to that answer, it's like Hamza Youssef doesn't realise his disgraced former health secretary resigned this morning. It's incredible. But Hamza Youssef said the £11,000 claim was a legitimate parliamentary expense. The First Minister claimed months ago that the matter was closed. There was nothing more to see here. He told me in this chamber last year he had absolute and full confidence in Michael Matheson. He said Michael Matheson was a man of integrity and honesty. Hamza Youssef backed him to the hilt. But most of Scotland has known from the very beginning that Michael Matheson was dishonest. Hamza Youssef's own reputation is in tatters over the scandal. He looks weak. Now, trust in this government is gone. The SNP's credibility is gone. Michael Matheson is gone. But Hamza Youssef, the human shield, is still here defending him. First Minister, how can anyone trust a single word this SNP government ever says again?
2: First Minister... Well, 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 presiding officer, Douglas Ross wants to talk about trust. Yeah. Did he not see the Ipsos podium yesterday that showed that we, First the Minister, SNP, First is Minister, trusted?
0: First Minister, we are simply not going to be conducting our business in this manner. I'd ask the front benches in particular to set the best of examples. First Minister.
2: Well, they don't want to listen to the facts, presiding officer, and the facts show that the SNP still continues to be trusted by the people of Scotland over the NHS, over the economy, over transport, over health, and, 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 and it in stark contrast uh, to the Conservatives. How dare Douglas Ross stand here and talk about standards in public life? in the week where his leader, the Prime Minister...
0: First Minister!
3: Literally...
0: Mr Ross, you have put your questions. The First Minister is now responding. Let us do one another the courtesy. We may not always agree with what we are hearing, but we are simply not going to shout
2: at one another, are we? First Minister. And how dare Douglas Ross stand up in this Parliament, in this chamber, in this week of all weeks, and talk about standards in public life when his leader, the Prime Minister, quite literally gambled with the lives of the most vulnerable this week. This week, just yesterday, quite literally decided to punch down on one of the most marginalized communities in the entire country. And not just on any day, of course, on the day that Brianna Gay's mother was in the House yeah. of Commons. Yeah. That is a disgrace. Yeah. That is shameful. So I'll certainly not be taking any lectures whatsoever from the Conservatives on standards and integrity Absolutely. and public life. Yeah. <laughs> Question number two, Anna Sarwar.
4: Thank you, President Officer. I'd like to join uh, other colleagues in first of all paying our respects and passing on our condolences to the family of Keith Rawlinson he was a much loved member of his community and I know from my own family in Elgin how deeply wounded and hurt the community of Elgin feels over this period I'd also like to echo the comments in sending our thoughts and best wishes to King Charles and his loved ones and we hope his majesty makes a full and speedy recovery presenting officer after months of Hamza Yusuf battling to keep Michael Matheson in his job Today, the health secretary has finally resigned. Now, that will make the headlines today, but the crisis in our NHS has been 17 years in the making. So Hamza Youssef may hope swapping one failing SNP minister for another is going to solve the problems, but it won't. So I want to ask about the real life consequences of this government's failure. So while the government pretends there is no crisis and they have it all under control, that is not the experience for patients across the country. For many, Delays in accessing treatment can be fatal. So, can the First Minister tell the Chamber how many people called an ambulance last year but died before they could reach an accident and emergency department? First Minister. Well, I don't have that figure
2: in front of me. What I can say is, of course, as part of the winter funding that we announced, a significant chunk of that winter funding was to recruit additional staff for the Scottish ambulance service. I take real exception to Anna Sowerby's characterisation of this question nobody in the government understands the real challenges that the NHS is under. We do. In fact, uh, we, of course, uh, are the ones who brought forward uh, a recovery plan that's helping the NHS to recover. That's why we've seen, no, that's why we've seen Anasawa uh, staying up. That's why we've seen, for example, a reduction on those outpatients who are waiting the longest two years or more uh, in terms of uh, uh, long waits. They, that has reduced by almost 70%. In terms of inpatients, those who are waiting over two years, reduction by over 20%. 5%. There's not a single person on the front benches uh, here who doesn't understand the significant challenge that the NHS is under. And that's why we're ensuring additional resources to the ambulance service, but also I'm happy in or, uh, to, to write to Anna Sarwar the details of what we're doing to tackle far too long ambulance waiting times that are taking place across the country.
4: Anna that Answer proves how much Hamza Youssef has his head in the sand. He talks about a recovery plan. Waiting lists have gone up since he published his recovering plan. And over 800,000 of our fellow Scots are on an NHS waiting list while he dithers around looking for a decent stat in his book. He needs to wake up to the reality facing far too many Scots. <laughs> now, the answer to the question I asked was there were over 12,000 people last year for whom an ambulance was called, but who died before reaching the hospital. That is up from just over 7,100 in 2019, an increase of over 70% in just four years. Many of these people may have survived if an ambulance could have reached them sooner or they could have been admitted to hospital more quickly. That is the real-world consequence of SNP incompetence and a failure to get to grip with a crisis in our NHS. But here's another example. Back when Hamza Youssef was health secretary, the government promised to contact all 150,000 women who were wrongly excluded from cervical screening by August 2021. More than two and a half years later, 65,000 women are still we- waiting to have their cases reviewed. They're still waiting to hear if they're at risk. Why has the government failed these women? First Minister... Let me take a couple of the important issues that Anasawa uh, does raise. Of course, again,
2: Anasawa does this when he uh, rightly of course, interrogates the issues around the health service. He uh, talks about the last four years without, of course, paying any recognition that something quite significant happened in the last four years. There was a global pandemic, which was the biggest shock that the NHS is facing its 75-year, five-year existence. That is why NHS services in Labour-run Wales, in Conservative-run England, and SNP-run Scotland are all facing really significant challenge because of that global pandemic. So, Anasawa can't simply say, well, things have uh, uh, deteriorated in four years without, of course, giving any level of context uh, whatsoever. Anasawa says they should have got better. They should have got better in the midst of a global pandemic, uh, is quite, uh, uh, quite something, Presiding Officer. In terms of the waiting lists and, uh, that, that we currently have, and there's no uh, suggestion from me uh, of anything other than having to focus in on reducing uh, those uh, waiting uh, times. Uh, if I look at, for example, the throughput, if I look at the operations uh, that have been performed in the last year, there was an 11% increase in the number of performed operations compared to the previous 12 months, and a 15% increase, over 15% increase, if you went back 12 months before uh, that. And there are waiting times. No no doubt there's too many people waiting uh, in uh, Scotland, and we're working to try to reduce that number uh, where uh, we can. In terms of the women uh, uh, that may have been affected uh, by uh, the issues around uh, cervical cancer uh, screening, uh, it should be said, and I can give Anasawa more detail Uh, of course uh, in writing that uh, of course having done an initial audit at NHS uh, boards uh, reached out to those women who were esteemed to be most at risk and of course have written out have taken the appropriate action uh, where uh, necessary. I'm more than happy to write to Anna Sauer uh, with further details but I think suggesting uh, that they are at risk or or, or at high risk uh, would be incorrect. So there has been a focus on the women that were impacted, uh, that clinicians believe were at the highest
4: risk of cervical cancer.
0: Anna Sarwar. Yeah.
4: Presenting officer, I'm, I'm gobsmacked by how outrageous the answer is from the First Minister there. He said there is no evidence that these women are at higher risk. I mean, it's why their cases are being reviewed. And actually, three women have died whilst waiting for this review, and 65,000 women still haven't been processed in that review. I think he should seriously look at what's actually happening and the National Health Service he is presiding over, because the reality is that these women and too many people who need an NHS are being failed by an incompetent SNP government. The result: any delays get worse, waiting lists grow, staff burn out, and patients' lives are put at risk. Now, this government would rather deny its incompetence than face up to the problem. Their financial mismanagement is further risking frontline NHS services, and they would rather continue with a culture of secrecy than learn the lessons of their failures. So, whoever this week First Minister chooses to be the next Health Secretary, isn't it the case that it's not just a change of a Health Secretary we need, it's a change from this failing, incompetent SNP Government?
2: First Minister. Mr. officer, uh, let me, uh, Anasawar, uh, completely, of course, mischaracterised uh, what I said. I said the review of cervical exclusions, he knows, and I'm, and I'm happy to provide him with more detail on this if he doesn't, uh, had two parts to The initial review of 1,500 uh, records, which was completed in 2021, and then a much wider review of all exclusions from the programme that is very much uh, ongoing, and that's covering around 150,000 uh, individuals. I'm more than happy to provide uh, Anasawar uh, with the full details of the progress uh, that uh, is being made. And what I would say to Anasawar is, of course, under this government stewardship of the NHS, we've seen record staffing in the NHS. We have the best paid staff anywhere in the UK. We haven't lost a single day's strike compared to Labour run Wales, compared to Conservative run uh, England. We are making a dent into, of course, those longest waits in terms of uh, those who have been impacted by the global pandemic. What doesn't help our recovery is, of course, those devastating cuts to the budget from the Conservatives. What would be really helpful is if Anna Sauer was able to confirm, of course, that UK Labour, if they do form the next uh, next UK Government, would reverse those Tory cuts. In fact, what we've had from Labour, what we've had from Keir Starmer, what we've had from Rachel Reeves, is is, is an absolute confirmation that they will not reverse Tory spending cuts. So while we face headwinds of austerity from the Conservative Government, I'm afraid it doesn't look like the situation will change under a UK Labour Government.
5: Question number three, Craig Hoy. Uh, thank you, presiding officer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to the Scottish Information Commissioner's intervention into its use and retention of informal communications in light of the UK COVID-19 inquiry. Yeah. First Minister.
3: The Government
2: is committed to complying with all of its legal obligations in relation to FOI and records management legislation. We received the intervention, details of intervention yesterday afternoon. Uh, we will, of course, fully cooperate with the Commissioner's office <laughs> once we've considered its content fully. I've already instructed that there should be an externally-led review looking at the use of mobile messaging apps and non-corporate technology. Uh, given that we've heard the former Prime Minister, uh, the current Prime Minister, the Secretary of State for Scotland were unable to provide <coughs> the UK COVID inquiry with any WhatsApps uh, due to them having been deleted, uh, the Deputy First Minister has written to the UK Government, the Welsh Government and the new Northern Irish executive, Northern Ireland Executive to invite them to participate in this externally led review. On the
5: day the disgraced Health Secretary is forced to quit the shambolic and secretive Scottish Government, it's worth reminding Parliament that the SNP's Deputy Leader, Keith Brown, claimed last year that the SNP are, and I quote, the most transparent party in Scotland. Since then, Nicola Sturgeon has revealed that she deleted each and every one of her informal COVID-related messages, in line, she said, with Scottish Government policy. Yet, Hamza Youssef claimed last October that he kept and retained his WhatsApp messages from that period. So to assist the Information Commissioner with his investigation, will the First Minister now confirm who breached his his government's record management rules? Nicola Sturgeon or Hamza Youssef?
2: First Minister. Just a a poll that has just come out in the last uh, few days, of course, has shown that 51%... Of Scottish voters, they're laughing at this, they don't want to hear this, presiding officer, 51% of Scottish voters feel yeah. the Scottish yeah. government handled the pandemic better. Just 13% thought the UK government had handled the pandemic yeah. better, presiding uh, officer. And I don't think, I really don't think the party that was secretly handing over multi-million pound PPE contracts to their donors and to their friends should be lecturing anybody about transparency. A party whose leader took the inquiry to court and lost presiding officer, a party that was breaking the rules, partying in number 10, while people were miss- missing the funerals of their loved ones. Of all the parties, to lecture anybody on public integrity, to, to lecture anybody on transparency, it certainly isn't to Tories, certainly isn't Craig Hoy presiding officer. Question number four, Jim
4: Fairley. Thank you, President and Officer. I'd like to ask the First Minister, will he provide provide an update on what progress the Scottish Government has made towards implementing the recommendations of the COVID-19 Recovery Committee's report on Long COVID?
2: First Minister. Since the publication of the Long COVID report, which we responded to in June last year, a number of recommendations have been implemented. This includes publishing a suite of educational resources, on NHS education for Scotland's learning platform to improve healthcare staff's knowledge and understanding of uh, the condition of long COVID. And NHS National Services Scotland commissioning the University of Leeds to support the initial evaluation of long COVID services in Scotland. Over this financial year, we've made available three million pounds out of the 10 million pound long COVID support fund to support NHS boards to increase the capacity of services supporting those with the condition. Uh, To develop these into more clearly defined local pathways and provide a more coordinated experience for those who
4: need to access support. Jim Fairley. Uh, thank the First Minister for that answer. Stigma, lack of single point of contact, evaluation of other approaches to treatment and signposting for affected patients were all recognised as vital for us making progress to help those sufferers. Can I ask the First Minister to reassure those people affected that these issues are being taken forward to allow them to either learn to live with it or be treated and allow them to go on with their lives?
2: First Minister. Uh, yes, Jim Fairley makes important points about stigma. And I should say uh, around establishing a single point of contact for long COVID patients in every single uh, health board. And I've mentioned the funding uh, that were provided. I'm also happy to write to Jim Freely with the details of the long COVID services available uh, in uh, our health boards uh, currently. And we've worked with people, and we continue to engage with people who are living with long COVID to develop case study videos for NHS Inform, providing insight into people's personal experiences of living with the condition, but also help to help us to co-design the policy that's required uh, in relation to long uh, COVID. Um, The identification, assessment and management of people with long COVID is very much guided by UK-wide clinical uh, guidelines developed by NICE uh, and also uh, the the, the SIGN guidelines as well as the Royal College Uh, of uh, GPs. These have been developed using a living approach. That means essentially that those guidelines will continue to develop uh, and evolve as we learn more and more uh, about uh, long COVID. So if I give Jim fairly uh, an assurance, not just about tackling uh, the stigma involved in seeking help, and nobody should uh, at all ever uh, feel that they cannot reach out uh, for help, if I can give him a further assurance uh, that any policy that we design in relation to long COVID uh, will be
4: co-designed with those with lived experience.
0: Sandish Gulhani.
4: The First Minister mentions publishing material. On 31 January 2024, the Scottish Government issued an update on long COVID guidance on the NHS Inform via official at Scott GovHealth X channel, formerly Twitter. It was endorsed by Minister Jenny Minto. The video downplays the challenges encountered by individuals grappling with long COVID, fails to fully represent the diversity of symptoms and severity of long COVID, disregards treatment. For symptom management. In a joint statement by UK Long Covid Charities, they urge the Scottish Government to withdraw the video and apologise. So, First Minister, will you? And a declaration of interest Is they uh, practising an NHS GP? First
2: Minister. Well, of course, uh, listen to what uh, Long Covid Charities uh, have to say. We take the issues of Long Covid very seriously, uh, indeed, and recognise the impact it has on the health Uh, and the well-being of those that are affected, not just adults, but often uh, we know children as uh, well. We know that people can have a whole range of experiences. In terms of uh, the (laughs) video that Dr Gohani uh, does mention, of course, uh, that was uh, with the input of health professionals, but also the input of people living uh, with uh, long COVID. But I can give Sandra Gohani an absolute uh, guarantee that we'll continue to engage Uh, with uh, those with lived experience, including the organisations he references and uh, take on board uh, their uh, comments. Jackie Bailey. A report from Washington
0: University finds that those who have had COVID-19 had a 72% increased risk of heart failure, a 63% increased risk of heart attack, a 52% increased risk of stroke, and that was regardless of age. Similar things are happening to other organs in symptoms that are characteristic of long COVID. So the problem's not gone away. Long COVID persists and the recommendations in the report largely were about the collection of data, because there is little evidence collected by this government centrally. So can I ask the First Minister what progress has been made to ensure that there is
2: consistent collect of long COVID data? First Minister. So, uh, of course, Jacobelli uh, is absolutely right that one of the recommendations of the report uh, was in relation to uh, data collection. The Scottish Health Survey provides annual monitoring of the population prevalence of long COVID. It includes questions about self-reported long COVID and also, more than that, more qualitatively than that, the impact on day-to-day uh, activities. The Scottish Health Survey uh, for 2022 was published uh, on the 5th of December, uh, 2023. 20, uh, uh, we should seek to see what more we can do to improve that data collection as per the committee uh, report. And again, happy to ensure that Jackie Bailey gets full details of what health boards are seeking to do uh, to improve the data collection around long COVID.
0: Question
6: number five, Monica Lennon. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response says to the Who Cares Scotland research report, Is Scotland Keeping the Promise?, which reportedly indicates that on the fourth anniversary of the publication of The Promise, key pledges made to care-experienced people are not being fulfilled. First Minister. Mm.
2: Uh, can I thank Who Cares Scotland for their continued important work that they do to support the care-experienced community right across Scotland? And of course, we are uh, carefully considering the findings of the report. <clears throat> we are determined to drive forward the transformational change that is required to keep The Promise and make Scotland the very best place in the world. To grow up where all children are loved, uh, feel safe, uh, and of course are respected. Yesterday, I had the great, uh, enormous pleasure, in fact, of visiting the Hub for Success. It's hosted by Napier University, supported by Scottish Government Promised Partnership funding, and there I got to meet Care experienced students who shared the really positive impact the service uh, had on them. So there is more work uh, to do, as the uh, report has undoubtedly highlighted, and we don't shy away. Uh, from that work. Um, but I think we should also share uh, and celebrate where change uh, is being felt. And one key area where there's been clear progress uh, is in the number of looked after children. Latest statistics show that there was almost 2,000 fewer looked after children in July 2022 uh, than there was when the promise started in July 2020. That doesn't take away from the work that still has to be done, uh, but I'm uh, pleased by some of the progress uh, that we are seeing in this. Group.
6: Monica Lennon. I thank the First Minister for his response and agree that Who Care Scotland deserves credit for this report which does highlight some areas of progress but also some major areas of concern. To give one example, their FOI investigation uncovered that care experienced children have lost more than 1.3 million school days to exclusion and that could be the tip of the iceberg as several councils couldn't provide any data. Despite the promise pledging to end this exclusion. So, we need transparency and accountability and leadership if we are going to fulfil the promise. But this lack of data is a constant theme of the report. So, does the First Minister agree that in order to keep the promise, one of the areas we have to tackle is the quality of data? Will he? Uh, and has government urgently review the data that's held by public authorities and report annually to Parliament because what we have here is not, is not good enough, First Minister.
2: First Minister. I, I largely agree with uh, Monica Lennon and, uh, of course, the Who Cares Scotland report around data collection. Recording, monitoring and reporting is, is key to both tracking progress but also ensuring we're delivering the change that we need. So we are working closely, if I can give Monica Lennon that assurance with COSLA that uh, <coughs> the Promise Scotland and wider stakeholders to develop that national pro- promise performance outcomes framework to track progress, uh, and this framework will be aligned to the plan 24 uh, to, to 2030. Um, and uh, I, I take the points entirely that uh, Monica Lennon uh, makes. I'm happy again uh, to ensure that the appropriate minister writes to her with details of the conversations that we are having with local government uh, in relation uh, to uh, data uh, collection. Uh, In terms of the issues around school exclusions, that was something that was referenced and mentioned to me in my meeting with the Care Experience Community uh, just yesterday. There's a whole raft of work going on uh, to ensure uh, that uh, we uh, absolutely reduce uh, school uh, exclusions uh, where we can, minimise them to the absolute uh, where we can. Uh, and I want to thank Who Cares and all the other stakeholders that are working with us in order to deal with these uh, really challenging issues.
0: Concise questions and responses will enable more members to be involved. I call Ruth McGuire.
6: Thank you, presiding officer. The Care and Justice Scotland Bill will play an important part in keeping the promise as Parliament moves forward, looking to further improve the bill at stage three. Would the First Minister agree with me that, despite the complexity of doing so, it is crucial that in reforming the care and justice system? We uphold and promote the rights of all children, whether they are in direct contact with the system as witnesses, victims, or perpetrators, or indeed are impacted because of a family member.
2: First Minister. Yes, I do. Uh, absolutely agree with that, and I am proud that Scotland became the first nation in the UK to incorporate uh, the UNCRC uh, into domestic law. And, and the Children Care and Justice Bill uh, is taking measures to promote this and help to keep uh, help Scotland to keep the promise. Action to improve the experiences of child victims and their families is uh, an absolute top priority, I'm sure, for all of us, and particularly for this government. Our engagement with stakeholders includes Victim Support Scotland, and they've helped to inform the bill, which uh, completed stage two uh, just uh, yesterday. Protecting and promoting the rights of all children who come into contact with the justice system is at the very heart of this bill, which will be an important step to improving outcomes for young people as we keep the promise. Rose McCall.
1: Thank you, Presiding Officer. I note the First Minister's uh, reference there to 2,000 fewer children in the care system. I also want to highlight that the report states that that could actually be a worrying failure. So to highlight that, but given the fact that social workers have a crucial role in Scotland, keeping the promise, the revelations that in 2023 over 83% of social workers were absent from work due to sickness is very concerning. So how will the Scottish Government ensure that local authorities receive the adequate levels of support and funding to have sufficient levels of staff to ensure that care-experienced children, young people and their families receive the support they deserve?
2: First Minister. First of all, of course, uh, we will ensure that we fund our local services and local authorities adequately. That is why they are getting a real terms uplift in the budget announced uh, by the Deputy uh, First Minister. That is despite the fact, of course, that we are seeing a real terms cut to our budget of, of around about £500 million pounds over the last couple of years. Uh, the social work workforce is, of course, primarily employed by local authorities and who will uh, monitor their absence levels. However, we do recognise the pressure the workforce is very much under, and we're working uh, with partners who have a collective responsibility to our frontline workers to seek ways that we can support uh, the social work workforce. And this includes the development of a joint workforce improvement plan with COSLA, which seeks to address the recruitment and retention challenges that the profession uh, does uh, face. We've also formed a joint social care and social care uh, work services workforce task force, um, the JSST, which is looking at ways that we can deliver improvements for both adults and children's social care and social care workforce. And of course, our national care service, our proposals for the national care service, will include the establishment of a national social work agency, which will support and invest in the profession by providing national leadership Raising the status of the social work, as, uh, social work as a profession and considering, of course, the future needs of the workforce.
0: Question number six, Ariane Burgess.
3: To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to strengthen enforcement powers in relation to long term empty homes.
2: First Minister. Tackling empty properties, uh, empty homes is a priority. We want to see more homes return to productive use as warm, safe, and secure housing. That's why we continue to fund the Scottish Empty Homes Partnership, which has helped to bring more than 9,000 homes back into use since 2010. We've also recently given councils the power to increase council tax by up to 100% on second homes. We've also consulted and given councils powers to raise it above 100% for long-term empty homes through primary legislation. Uh, Where we need to rely on enforcement, local authorities have broad compulsory purchase powers that can and are being used to bring empty homes back into use. I
3: thank the First Minister for that answer. More action on empty homes is a commitment in the shared policy programme between the Scottish Greens and the Scottish Government. So the proposal to allow councils further powers to increase council tax on long-term empties is important as an effective... as is effective use of enforcement powers as a backstop evidenced in Glasgow last week with the news of three properties to be acquired through compulsory purchase for use by housing associations. But does the First Minister recognise the need for CPO reform to, to make it more workable, and does he agree with the recommendations of the independent audit of empty homes work that the Scottish Government should also consider the merits of enforced sales and rental orders?
2: First Minister. Firstly, can I welcome the news of Glasgow City Council's use of compulsory purchase order powers and I do agree that consideration of how we might reform and modernise the CPO process is vital. It's why we've committed to take this forward in our programme for government and I'm pleased to say we'll shortly be establishing an expert advisory group to inform the development of options. We've also committed to continue to consider the case for introducing compulsory sales orders and the expert group will look at the extent to which CPO reform achieve some of the same aims and the same considerations would apply also to compulsory leasing as well. most long-term empty homes, they return to use through proactive work with the owner owner, owner to identify barriers and ways to overcome those barriers. We will continue to support that work alongside ensuring that the taxation and enforcement tools are available to incentivise the reuse of empty homes. We move
0: to constituency general supplementaries and I call Stuart McMillan.
5: Uh, thank you, President Officer. At eleven am this morning, EE announced that they will be closing the Greenwich Call Centre site on the thirtieth of November. This is going to affect over four hundred and fifty people in my constituency who will now either be forced to work in Glasgow or find another job. Can the First Minister give a guarantee that the Scottish Government agencies will be in hand to assist those who require it? I will provide an assurance that the Scottish Government will leave no stone unturned to help Inverclyde, as we are now to have another large facility empty, when we need a replacement for both the current police station and also the West College, Scotland.
2: First Minister, well, this government, of course, has a good record of investment in Inverclyde, and will continue to work with the local authority to see what further support we may be able to provide. Can I say, first and foremost, though, that my thoughts are with all of the 450 workers. Uh, at the EE site uh, in Greenock. I'm very sorry uh, to hear of that news that uh, was given to them uh, this morning at 11am. Uh, what I can give an assurance to those workers and also to Stuart McMillan as a local MSP, is that the Scottish Government, of course, will engage, as I say, with the local authority, but also with the company uh, directly where we can. And, of course, we'll do what we can through uh, our PACE initiative in order to help uh, those uh, workers that have been affected in order to, uh, should they need it, in order to look for further employment, should that be required. So I'll ensure uh, that the appropriate minister keeps Stuart Macmillan updated on those conversations.
6: Rachel Hamilton. Thank you. Presiding officer, rural health boards in Scotland have been forgotten about. The former disgraced health minister has been too focused on covering his own tracks and has failed to deliver for the rural health service in Scotland. This week, we learnt that NHS Borders is facing a potential deficit of 45 million. Frontline services will have to be cut, putting my constituents at risk. Will the First Minister step up once and for all and deliver much-needed support to ensure residents in the Borders do not receive second-class treatment?
2: First Minister. Well, first uh, and foremost, of course, we do support uh, rural health services. Of course, the National Centre for Remote and Rural Health uh, and Cares, backed by an investment of £3 million until 2026. That centre will focus on improving the sustainability, the capacity and capability of primary care and community-based workforces. Of course, we also offer uh, incentives for those uh, GPs, for example, to work in rural locations. We're funding 50 GP speciality training bursary posts in 2024 25 to attract GPs to rural uh, Scotland. And not only that, of course, as I've already referenced in a previous uh, response, this SNP government is giving a real terms uplift to the NHS here in Scotland. That's a stark contrast to the Conservatives who are gutting NHS England with a cut of over 1.3 billion. Not only that, Presiding Officer, if you look at the autumn statement, we received a paltry £10.8 million pounds of consequ- health consequentials 90%. from the UK government. That wouldn't have provided five weeks nor five months of NHS activity. It would have provided five hours yeah. of NHS activity. So we'll take no lectures on funding our NHS from the Conservatives. Michael Mara Thank you, President Officer. Scotsman David Cornick died in Thailand in 2019. His father Davy believes there is strong evidence that he was murdered. The Inquiries into Fatal Accidents and Sudden Death Scotland Act was meant to enable the Lord Advocate to instruct fatal accident inquiries in cases such as David's. Yet It appears that zero fatal accident inquiries into the deaths of Scots abroad have taken place since the law was passed in 2016. The definition of
4: residency used by our Scottish justice system appears to be at the heart of this failure. Does the First Minister agree with me and the families of Scots who have died abroad that they should be afforded
2: the same chance to know the fate of their loved ones as other citizens across these islands? And what can he do to help ensure that they get the answers that they deserve? First Minister. Uh, Can I uh, first and foremost uh, give my uh, condolences and sympathies once again to the family of David uh, Connick? And uh, I do agree with the premise, of course, that those uh, Scots uh, who lose uh, loved ones uh, should be able to get the answers to the questions uh, that they have. I'm more than happy, of course, to look at the legislation. Uh, Michael Mara is absolutely correct. It is the issue of residency uh, in this particular case, ordinary res- residency, uh, that uh, is, is causing uh, the issue in this particular uh, case. Uh, he does know, of course, that decisions around FAIs are, are not decisions uh, for the government to take, but for the independent Lord advocate uh, to take. But, of course, legislation is our responsibility. So I am happy uh, to take a look uh, to speak to the Justice Secretary uh, on this matter uh, and ca- to consider it further, and we will respond uh, to Michael Mara and
6: The Better Together campaign told people in the lead up to the independence referendum that pensions are safer in the UK. How hollow are those words now? Westminster has presided over the injustice done to Waspy women. The state pension is shamefully inadequate due to years of austerity. And whilst the state pension is expected to rise to 68, reports this week suggest it may even rise further to 71. Can the First Minister give his response to how Westminster is feeling Scotland's older people time and time again?
0: Partly, uh, surprised. Sorry, First, First <laughs> Minister, this is not a question on a devolved no, matter. I call Martin Whitfield.
5: i very grateful, Presiding Officer. This week... Rail commuters in East Lothian travelling to Edinburgh experienced the consequences of SNP mismanagement with a reduction in the carriage numbers on the trains during the uh, busy morning commute and overcrowding. Gregor Miller, one of the commuters said, it's uncomfortable, you have to stand and it becomes hard to hold on to anything. When I get to Preston Pans, you have to stand. When I get to Wallyford, people are just squeezing on and at Musselburgh, people can't get on the trains. Given these ongoing issues, what assurances can the First Minister offer to Gregor and to the other constituents that commuters travelling between East Lothian and er Edinburgh can depend on a robust and reliable train service?
2: First Minister. I was surprised that I wasn't able to answer the previous question because it was related to pensioner uh, poverty presenting officer. So I will give Clare Hawkey a written answer. First uh, First Minister,
0: I'm I'm sorry, I I didn't hear what you said there.
2: I will give Claire Hawkey a written response to the question that she asked around pensioner poverty. In relation to the... First Minister.
0: Members will be aware of the requirement to put at First Minister's questions questions which are the responsibility of the First Minister and the devolved government. And I think members at this stage of the session are very well aware of how to achieve that. And I would just ask members... To, r- to remind
2: themselves of that, First Minister. Indeed, uh, Presiding Officer. In terms of Martin Butfield's question, uh, look, I don't at all uh, minimise the impact that rail disruption can have on constituents, on their everyday lives, on going to work, on attending their educational uh, establishments. And what I would say uh, to Martin Butfield's uh, constituent is that, of course, we're investing in our rail services. We've invested in our rail infrastructure, whether it's uh, new rail lines in terms of the Borders Railway, whether it's new railway stations right up and down the country or indeed making our railways more affordable by for example introducing a pilot that abolished peak uh, fares. So I will say to Martin Whitfield we are of course apologetic for any disruption that is caused in our railways on our rail infrastructure but I'm more than happy to ensure that the minister the appropriate minister writes to Martin Whitfield with the details of the investments that we're making not just between East Lothian and Edinburgh but right across the country. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's
0: (coughs) questions. And the next item of business is a a member's debate in the name of Stephen Kerr. There will be now a short suspension to allow those leaving the Chamber and Public Gallery to do so.